Hey, what's up, guys? It's your boy, Jamaica here, coming at you with PD Chat Episode 2. Um, once again, I'm joined by Briar Moss. Briar Moss, say hello. It's good. Hello. Hello. All right. Today, we're gonna, we are gonna have two topics to discuss today. The first topic is the incredible player from Down Under, Rumors of Night, and his ridiculous streak of wins so far, and his dominance over the season. And the second part will be kind of a discussion about, I guess, brewing in general, brewing in Penny Dreadful. Not not specifically Penny Dreadful, but just how to, like, create a deck, or just the ways that, you know, Briar Moss and I create decks, because, I don't know, I, maybe I'm being biased, but I think we have, like, some ridiculous uh, out-there decks, and maybe people want a little bit of insight of how, how the mind works. So, uh, Briar Moss, how are you doing today? I know you didn't play today. It's Sunday, yeah. right? Now. I'm uh, I'm pretty good. I I was hosting brunch for my family, so I, yeah. I unfortunately mis misplaced my priorities and decided that that was probably a better uh thing to do than do another tournament. How'd that go? Did you do you cook or? I do cook. I made uh, what was it? We had uh, cream and pancakes and bacon and eggs, and I made a quiche, and we also put out um salad and uh some other greens Jeez, I, all i could do is make mimosas that's all i do i used to bring a bottle of champagne because i thought brunches were supposed to have champagne but uh then i would like open it and it only like two glasses would get drunk and no one would finish it before it went bad so i stopped doing that we're just teetotalers guys oh you guys are you guys are amateurs anyways but but an amateur not an amateur ribbons at night um this guy's been on, this guy's been nuts. I mean, we faced him a lot. I faced him mostly in league, or at least last season. I don't really play as much, but uh, you guys have fought a lot. You guys have some echo matches. Um, I'm going to run down some stats real quick. First of all, at the time of this recording, it's about it's season seven, uh, week eight. It's on a Sunday. We just actually finished a Sunday tournament. So Ribbons Knight didn't play today. I don't know why why not. He usually plays, but anyways, out of all the tournaments we play, all the he's played in twenty seven tournaments. And out of those 27 tournaments, he's made top 8 21 times. And out of those uh, 21 top 8s, he's made 7 wins. So he's basically had like a 77% conversion rate on tournaments. And uh, it's almost like, I guess, I don't know if it's like, you know, 7 out of 21. It's like, that's a third. That's a third of his top 8s in the wins, which is pretty ridiculous. Also, we're playing him a lot, like I said. Uh, lifetime stats against me. Uh, Ribbons is 13 and 10. That includes leagues and tournaments. And against Briar Moss, he's uh, Briar Moss is actually catching up. He was down for a while, but Ribbons is actually up just a, just one match, seven to six against Briar Moss. So, um, yeah, what do you think about Ribbons in general? Like, what do you think about his play style? I was told overpowered stuff was supposed to rotate after the format, and I'm thinking about talking with leadership because it hasn't. <laughs> we have to ban this guy. <laughs> I know, right? Like, he's clearly overpowered. We need a, a meta rotation. No, I, I think he's a, a, a really good player. Um, I think a lot of times I see um, clips or misplays from a good portion, a good cross section of the PD crowd, and I never see anything that he doesn't have like a strategic reason for making a play a certain way when I like watch his games or you know get beat by him. So yeah, he's just a, a good player, and he. Uh, uh, I think one of the, the great things about Penny Dreadful is that it's a, a Brewers format, but you definitely get a lot of win equity by being the first person to bring out a new archetype to a format, and uh, Ribbons consistently does that. 
Yeah, I mean, um, uh, this season, uh, I think he started like season six. I want to say like season five or six, maybe like more five or six. I can't remember, but I should have done that research. But uh, this season, he started with the uh, the goblins deck that no one plays anymore because I don't know. Like he started literally one of his like first twenty matches in league. It was actually ridiculous, and he got a couple. I think he got only like one tournament win. Now he's on. And he's kind of dabbled with like some aristocrat builds, but now he's on this um. Esper Blink deck, which I'm going to go over real quick for listeners who haven't really seen the deck. But basically, it's an Esper deck, uh, mostly uh, blue-black, but spl- a little splash of white. Uh, 23 lands, just all Esper colors. The lands aren't really, like, anything to sneeze about. And just a lot of, like, value creatures. We got, like, and a bunch of ones and two ofs, like Murderous Redcap, Skin Render. Those are kind of just removal spells here. Uh, Nevermaker, if you don't know what Nevermaker does. Uh, when it leaves play, it puts a non-land permanent on the top of his own library, which is a combo piece with this one of uh, Mist Metal Witch, which uh, flickers the creature, flickers creatures, and comes back in the beginning of the next owner's end step. So that's just kind of a soft... I've, got, I've gotten soft locked by that before. It's actually ridiculous. Uh, but the beat of the deck to me is like the Cloud Blazers, four, four Cloud Blazers and four uh, Magister work, which is basically like a one-sided a Wrath on a Stick for a full four flyer. And that's kind of just how the way like the game kind of progresses. And everything else is kind of filled with like Card drawing spells and like Oath of Jace, uh, Treasure Cruise, and a little bit of ramp and like some signets, six signets, and then Animate Dead, just kind of the, the revalue back up. So that's basically the deck. It's it's just got a weird mishmash of cards that somehow works. And I think your point was important that because he's built the deck, he kind of knows like the direction where he needs to go. Like, what do you think? What do you think of this deck in general? I think it's a, a really good grindy value deck, like uh, the other Aristocrats decks he's been playing. And I think that I, I think there's some angles to attack it with, but I think it does a really good like long-term control the game type plan. And yeah, it's a good deck. It it plays good cards. <laughs> I mean, is Nevermaker a good card? Like that's the thing. It's like are these like I mean they're good-ish cards, but like. Uh, and I, I, this might actually uh, be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but uh, how, uh, in relation to what we were going to talk about with um, Brew or how you determine uh, like what a good deck is to make a new deck, when you ask, like, is Ribbons of Night's deck good, um, you have to look at it just like you would look at uh, a deck you were brewing and like evaluating, do I think this will be good in the meta? And the way you kind of... The decks have a game plan that they want to enact. And to enact that game plan, they have a couple of moving pieces, and then they have also a plan to interact or not interact with their opponent's game plan, which also might have a couple of moving pieces. So at, at the, the simplest level, like... Like, if I have, I don't know, 20 lands and uh, 40 one-mana 2-2s, like, I have all my lands are my engine to produce mana, and I I need those to, I need the mana engine, because it produces one mana each turn, to cast my uh, one-mana 2-2s and attack my opponent. And this is, like, a reasonable game plan in that I'll play one, the hope is I'll play one-mana 1-1 on turn one, two two 2-2-2s on turn two, and so on and so forth, and just attack them at my opponent until I win on, like, what, turn five, turn six? Remember there was one deck we had that was, like, 40, it was, like, called like 41 drops or something um and uh like that doesn't mean that simple game plans are bad you have to evaluate what the game plans are in 
the context of the meta. So the reason why a simplistic game plan like that is uh, dangerous is that it's fairly easier, easy to answer because you can you can metagame against that and it can't it can't interact with your opponent's interaction or if it does, it's no longer a forty mana two man or two power one mana creatures. So um, like like just to to tip some people off like if you put in a light mind field or something that instantly counters that deck and it can't ever do anything or if you put in a uh sphere of law or something you you've now obviated the uh 42 power creature deck dot deck um to to kind of bring it back to uh ribbon's deck um deck ramps into it does a decent job at surviving because the aggro decks don't want to commit too much to the field because they lose it all with Magister of Worth. And um, for facing fellow control decks, uh, cards like Cloud Blazer and Animate Dead are exactly where you want to be because Cloud Blazer is against most control decks a guaranteed uh, three for one because it's in addition to gaining you life and helping you stabilize against the aggro decks. Um, um, just by virtue of tapping out and playing that card, you are up on your opponent because the two the two two isn't huge, but it can generally trade for a card or force your opponent to spend a card to remove it. Um, they can't like if they just attack through it. Like I've played um, with my UW um, roll deck. They've I, I've like attacked into that. He's perfectly fine to pay a five mana for a two two that chumps and gains him like blocks a five five gains two life on entry the board gains him seven life overall and draws him two card where so he's ahead on that like entire game state interaction um and i uh in the long game he just has to keep on doing that that's his uh his engine as it were he has a he has the ramp, uh, the mana piece of his engine to survive across time long enough to get to a point where he can just chain value creatures together until his opponent is buried under card advantage. Um, and I think that's uh, a strong strategy. I think that the big weaknesses it has that people looking to exploit it are that it's primarily um, tap out control. And so it doesn't do a very good job at dealing with like spell or stack based a uh, combo like Dragonstorm, and it also doesn't uh it, if you can kill it on turn two or three like the mardu life deck i was brewing it can't set up its shields fast enough to interact with that so i think there are definitely weaknesses but that's that's kind of my evaluation of the deck and how it sits in the meta yeah i mean um i always thought for the longest time that Ribbons was just, like, being the better player against everybody. And, like, this was just, like, this, like, mishmash of just cards. One up here, two up here. They're, like, good in certain situations, like you said. Because, like, once you're just, like, kind of chaining Cloud Blazers, chaining, you know, Sphinx of Lost Troops, also in the stack, the one of. Like, once you're just, like, kind of, like, and rebuying them with things like Momentary Blink. Once you're just kind of, like, doing all that, like, it all just adds up towards the end. And I really, I really just thought that he was just better playing everybody. But then, like, I've seen other people play the deck, and they're doing actually well, too. So I think, for me, that's, like, a mark of a... I would say, like, a good deck, but, like, a solid deck where other people can play it and also have success. Not just, like... Not just, like, yeah. the pilot itself. 
there's definitely like pilot skill expression with index. Like, um, I know you're aware that Storm exists, and there's definitely like Storm lists that I think are good that have lots of like subtle sequencing decisions where if you're not, if you make like one mistake, you can just consistently lose and a good pilot will win in those same game states so um like I, ribbons is better playing people but i'm saying if ribbons was winning it could still be a good deck and he just didn't have good enough pilots imitating him if that makes sense yeah i, I wanted to, i actually want to see him play a bad deck and see what happens <laughs> can he just like let's, let's give him the test like let's give him just like 60 planes or something can he win no. But um, I agree too on the uh, assessment of like decks to beat uh, this like spell based combo or just like winning on like turn four. I think in general because a lot of the deck is a lot of setup. Like I said, six signets and really just like four and five drops. Also, just like fast fast combo like reanimate like gold gorger dragon. That's like a turn three kill if you could. Actually, um, I assume because he knew uh, people were playing it, he's uh, pretty well set up in the sideboard to deal with the uh, World Gorger Dragon combos. I think Aura Fracture is a fantastic sideboard tech. Oh yeah, like, that's true. Uh, that, yeah, like, it looks so garbage, but I, I was talking with him and he explained that the only artifact that most decks care about right now is uh smokestack and ribbon stack is actually really well set up to fight against smokestack so he might have like a co of cleansing or two in addition but it doesn't cost him much to uh completely turn off a lot of combos via aura fracture and uh kind of uh to go back to the the engine talk one of the Eight things about cards like Aura Fracture or like when you're browsing spoiler or not spoilers like Scryfall and looking for cards that speak out as powerful. First off, being able to do something for no mana uh, because mana is a resource and normally like you only get so much of it each turn. So being able to do something for no mana is immediately like appealing and powerful and deserves a second look. And second off, getting to trade that you have a surfeit of for resources you might need like in this case extra lands for completely alleviating like all animate deads your opponent has and turning off the ability of your opponent to use the world gorger combo just by having aura fracture sit on the field is really powerful and uh you know sign of a good good deck building and uh good sideboarding decisions yeah i, I think the sideboard is probably more geared towards you're not really sure because like, there's so many ones that do it. there's like some like anti-aggro stuff but not really I'm sure he knows the weaknesses of the deck. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Like, like I said, because like I think if I if I want to say if like it'd be like fast aggro or uh, spell based combo, but there's there's a couple of lobotomies which you can play on turn three if like somehow like I don't know for the dragonstorm player if they had like a cabal if you hit like a cabal ritual lobotomy that's like not bad or like just a piece or just a dragon in general like if somehow they did a in their deck that's pretty good. Our fracture think- like you says uh pretty good because um like you said repeatable effects are very rare and pretty good in penny dreadful um to me like planeswalkers in general magic are like the most powerful things you do and that's like a repeatable effect every turn and artifact is like the same it's almost like a planeswalker <laughs> it feels like a planeswalker to me sometimes i think um that in general like what so this will be a hobby horse because i've been thinking about it since we started planning this and uh I think it's a kind of useful framework to think about. If you're to pick your cyborg cards for maximum impact and you also want to address a diverse field, 
without diluting whatever the core game plan of your deck is. All of those argue for having a only a couple of like high impact one or two ofs in the deck because you can't like if there's a card that you can consistently play and your game plan is to chain them one into another like uh, Cloud Blazer, you should probably have those main deck. Like what you want in your sideboard are cards that are uniquely situationally good at either like trading up on cards and mana with your opponent that you can't play main deck that can replace like less efficient more generic answers that are in your main deck yeah i think it's a really good point like for like cards like bullet cards like aetherling there's a one of in the sideboard which i think he's always said that like that's like a mirror breaker there because there's even thought about the mirror. <laughs> you trade but, uh, back and forth with your opponent, and then when someone taps out, you play an Aetherling, and then the game they over. can't answer it. It's, uh... And then the game's over. It's really, it's actually kind of ridiculous. I don't, I don't know what they'll say. It's like this is like, I, I and I, I do a lot of like you know the tournament recaps, deck text, whatever. I look at a lot of decks because this is part of what I do. And, like this is just the most ribbons of night deck I've ever seen. It's just like the most like ridiculous value engine. And it's just like right up his alley. Like you said, like you can play all these one and two of because of like the cloud villagers, because of the Oath of Jesus, because of the treasure cruises, because of the careful consideration. You'll eventually hit them. And when you hit that one of, that two of, it's really going to make a difference. Okay, so spell based combo. Do you think your martyred life deck actually has a good chance? Why do, why do you think uh, that is? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think that um, most, it has the ability to win out of nowhere off of, like he doesn't put a lot of um on the board immediately um, a lot like, of blockers like yeah well not even blockers just like the way and you know maybe i'm uh, revealing too much here the way mardu life works is or if it's like turn six or seven if because i'm constantly building up mana resources and getting I'm not like falling behind. Like if uh, if my opponent is on turn, taps out for a cloud blazer, um, they can't actually swing with that cloud blazer. Or if they do, provided I haven't taken damage yet, it's still very easy for me to go. Was it claim 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 to fame? Pump up the um. I, I don't even know the name of the card in my own deck. Uh, Immolating Soul Eater. <laughs> Immolating Soul Eater. I, I, it's, I, I call it Phyrexian Fire Breather in my head because that's what it is. But yeah, Immolating, uh, Immolating Soul Eater and kill them uh, out of the blue. So because he can't hold up, uh, at least in his main deck, he can't hold up instant speed interaction or like good instant speed interaction, it makes it relatively easy for um, me to play around because if, if he's not putting pressure on my life total like every have is uh nine damage multiple or two damage multiplied by uh however many children of corliss i have and um one one kind of fun thing to do is against decks that gain life like uh ribbons um if, if you're gaining life and letting me go long um one of the reasons why claim to fame is fun is uh children of corliss uh stacks with itself so if I'm at 20 life and it's turn like eight, I can Children of Corliss, sack it, drain it again, pl oh, uh, either you... play a second one or play another claim. That The second one gains me not 18 life, but 36 life and lets me get some pretty stupidly large damage numbers. 
Right, because the children, because it says, like, total life loss this turn, so you have the first one, and then you just loop back the first one again. You're just going to gain, actually, more than what you started with. There's Ribbon's deck, but there was a similar deck that was, like, the only threat they had was, like, a... Um, not sure if it was correct, but what, I had uh, two children, and I ended up just burning both of them to gain 36 life, because I wanted... It, 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 if I'm at a high life total, when I pull that um pull that combo it's gains me a lot more life than if i wait until i'm like at 10 or 11 or 12 um which is coincidentally why burn zombies is actually fine because uh i think light of day is both a better sideboard card and uh, uh they put like less early damage on the table than uh, than red deck wins but uh red deck wins is a terrible matchup because if it, I'm at like 10 life on turn four um, and they have like a board state, it's very difficult for me to um, combo off. Yeah, I think for uh, Ribbons too in his deck, just kind of looping back, is that uh, I think he said red deck was also a really bad matchup because, because of just like, which means what you said, or about like setup and things like that. Um, the, the reach is crazy. The nice thing is this season, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the. Uh, both the, the 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 fact that there's hate for both red deck and for uh for zombies makes me happy because it means that if anyone like consistently wins it, i don't know if it would win the tourney but i am 100% certain you can build a deck that's just like mono hate that consistently beats the the target deck i think so Whether it wins against anything else i don't know yeah i've been thinking about just like mono white just like hate cards i'll just because like zombies, is, if you're um, for this for this week, zombies has won the last three tournaments. So I was thinking of myself, man, what if I just played like four white knight, four elite inquisitor, like four voice of all, and like just like, like every like card that would not like even like and then like angels of glory's rise, <laughs> just to ex exile all zombies or something like that. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Angel of Glorious Rise is good enough, but yes, it would be it would be interesting. Well, um, if you had a deck of like mono white hate bear humans, and you just had this Angels of Glorious Rise hanging out, I think that'd be good enough. I, I looked it up. We don't have it, but devout devout life caster would be fun. It's not legal. I know. I looked. No, it's very sad. It was legal actually. I think season excuse me, season four or five. I can't remember. Good. I remember it. It was. Uh... I, I hated seeing it across the field because I don't remember what I was on, but I remember it being good against me. <laughs> I think you're on. I think you're playing the cruel deck. I think it was. Or no, I don't remember. Because it wouldn't have been that good against me yeah. then. I think it was the season before that. I think it was. Um, it was when I was playing uh, the inspired deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say about this deck, this ribbon deck, or just him in general. I think he's just on a super tear, and like I'm just always afraid to see him. I'm always afraid to play him. Uh, do you have any other tips about like playing him, beating him? No, I just just uh, I mean I think I, I don't think there's like player specific tips. You 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 have your deck, you have a game plan of how to win, and uh, you try and accomplish that. I think it depends a lot on what, like, I, I, so I wouldn't play against the player. I'd play against the deck, and I, I already gave my 
deck specific tips on uh ribbons deck which is you probably want to go under it um i don't think that there are or go you so you have the choice of going under it which means like fast aggro so zombies or red deck wins or like go over or around it which would be um i think that just based on the meta choices that have been made thus far he's well set up to fight um like infinite combos or specifically world gorger combos but i think that uh he doesn't have a lot of outs to dragonstorm combo so i think that would be a uh a good matchup against him problem being that a there's like just because it's a good matchup for the dragonstorm player doesn't mean you're gonna win and b i think that dragonstorm has a pretty atrocious aggro matchup so it's not what i'd be playing if i was looking at like the field as a whole yeah, it's almost like a weird rock, paper, scissors in that sense. Where I think it's just better just to go under. I think you're right, though. But I, I agree with like the going around part. Going over is really hard, like in terms of like, or just trying to stick with the deck of like going long. Because I don't, I don't even see like how you go long with this deck. Because I've seen this guy go to like ten cards in his library and just eke out a win somehow. So, and this actually again goes uh, goes into deck building. It's hard if your game plan is to like be a control deck. The way control decks generally work is they trade back and forth resources. Uh, so you play a spell, I counter it. You play a spell, I counter it, and then they make up that advantage with either card draw, like treasure cruise. And the way Ribbons' deck is set up is he has better card draw and because his spells all have uh, enter the battlefield trigger is basically like immune to wraths. It doesn't matter if you wrath him and he plays like another Cloudblazer the next turn. Like you're you're losing value each time because all of his cards do something and you're almost obligated to counter every single one of them. So I, I don't think like a traditional uh, UW or UB control deck is... Uh, well positioned, unless they have some tech I haven't seen yet. It just is so. It seems so bad to wrath the Cloudblazer or to like wrath the Redcap because like Redcaps are just gonna come back or like I said, they've kind of already like left something behind or they've made their mark already. That's kind of the, that's that's a really like big point of this deck. It's just the value. It's like there's there's not a better value deck in this format yet. I don't think, or at least it has been revealed. To or me there yet. might be. You listener could be the next person to brew one. <laughs> Please, please send your submissions here. <laughs> or just uh, win a tournament. We'll or, talk about it anyway. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. But, you know, and we've, we already, like, kind of touched on the brewing part. But, you know, how, how do you, how really do, like, decks get created is is the next part I really wanted to talk about. Because, like, we can't get into Ribbons of Knight's head. But we know it's in our heads. How do, like, we build these sort of, like, awesome decks? Like, we touched on, like, Dragonstorm, which is the list I, I started with. And, you know, I've kind of, like popularized it but oh i haven't been doing well but i know you've like uh sort of started touching back and forth uh throughout this podcast about sort of like the idea of brewing the idea of thinking you want to like touch a little bit more uh yeah i mean i i think that like in order to figure out how to brew you have to figure out how uh how you want to win the game and uh again i've just this is going to sound familiar but 
there are engines. Like the first engine you have is uh, your mana. Everyone has a mana engine because the way magic works, unless you're playing something weird like Manaless Dredge, you need a, a mana engine in order to cast your spells. Um, which is why this season, everyone, or at least me and like two other people, were super excited about uh, Auntie's Hovel coming in because it was uh, it made your mana more consistent because every turn uh so if you if you're you have a, a confluence of your spells and your uh, your mana if you're time walking yourself with your mana then your opponent and your opponent isn't they get incremental advantage but you gain in power by having access to a, like a wider field of cards and this is all like I think intuitive and obvious to a lot of people, but I'm kind of laying out the mile high view of why, like, seeing Auntie's Hovel as legal was a reason to brew in color or in, Mar in Mardu because I used to have uh, Ancient Amphitheater before determining it. Like, wasn't I, I had few enough times I wanted the untapped white on one that it wasn't worth the the uh, deck building cost over just having like additional trilands, but. Um, um, so the, the like the first thing is things that are better at doing a game plan, in this case, playing Rakdos colors, than were previously available. Auntie's Hovel was an engine. From there on, it predicates, like, what are the best goblins you can put in your Auntie's Hovel deck to, like, synergize with that. From there, you're just looking for um, things that, like, I touched on this earlier, things that let you do things without spending mana resources are really powerful things that let you trade up in mana for your opponents are really powerful so like if you're trying to set up an engine let's uh there's a really terrible card that you is probably penny dribble league legal but uh you'll never see it called uh treasure trove it's a two oh. you you enchantment oh, that, that card, okay yeah, and not Treasure Cruise. No, 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 no. no. This is terrible. The enchant this is, yeah. this is this is this is uh, Treasure Trove. Um, so it's a it's a four mana blue enchantment that uh, lets you spend four additional mana after you play it in order to draw a card. That's another type of engine. It lets you spend the uh, card you spent playing it and invest your mana every turn to cards now. Uh, one way of winning the game, any deck that wants to go long wants to leverage their mana engine into a card advantage engine into an answer engine, and that's how they win the game. So you have your mana base, and then you uh, have both card selection, which lets you find the answers like in the time you need in order to prevent the other deck's damage engine from killing you, or damage your mill or combo or whatever the heck they're doing, and then you slowly gain incremental advantages by trading one for one or trading two for one until you have cards and answers and mana and can use things that gain you cards without immediately answering the threat without giving them free uh, free damage or free resources out of their engine. Because if, if it's like turn three and you play some divination equivalent and they have two creatures on board, you're paying three mana but you're also playing paying four damage for taking the turn off to do that so when you're designing decks and when you're trying to figure out how to how to solve a format you need to figure out 
oh, what can I afford to do? Simple damage engines like, you know, eight bolts, 20 creatures, or, you know, some, a couple of volcanic uh, hammers or whatever, um, aren't going to run me over before I'm able to uh, trade off. Because one of the other things that you see happening is when end on life total or when an opponent threaten can threaten uh additional action certain cards of theirs become better like if you're at five i've if if you're at 20 and you have a life total advantage you can afford you like you, you can tap out because you're not afraid of getting burned out of the game but as you get lower you become constrained on resources so you might be like oh I want to cast divination because that'll let me get ahead in advantage long term, but I can't because my opponent has put me under th so much threat that or to tap out to put my shields down so that um, I don't die to a burn spell or whatever. Um, does that make a little bit of sense on like how in the game of you are trying to either beat your opponent before they uh, are able to get any kind of advantage engine online or even their damage engine online or stabilize long enough to get your advantage engine, be that a three-card combo, be that a a card draw, be that a wrath, what, whatever it happens to be, um, before they kill you. And the deck building is figuring out which of your advantage engines and answers are efficient and uh, cheap and effective against uh, both for killing your opponent and against how your opponent's trying to interact with you. Yeah, it's, um, that was a lot. You went on a rant there. That was like a that was like a deck building rant. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I, mean, I agree. Hopefully, it was informative. <laughs> oh, I, that was that was a ton of information. I think like yeah, you have like two avenues, like you said. It's either like do I try to kill my opponent quickly or do I, how, can I prolong the game so I can do my cool thing? Which is like, you know, maybe something that hopefully ends the game in your favor very quickly. Or, but you need like time to get there. So, like you said, life your life total is a resource. So if you're playing that sort of like mid-range or con more of like top-end control decks, you, you have to somehow figure out how to live that long so you can do your cool thing. Have you ever, and I think this is a big trap that people sort of build around. Do you ever, have you ever like seen a card... That you thought, man, this is just a really sweet card. I just have to throw this in a deck. Do you do you think that's sort of like a trap, or do you think that's a better way to like fuel your sort of like a deck build, deck building process in general? I, I definitely do do that. I think cards are sweet, but like, what makes a card sweet, at least in from a spiky perspective, is like how it helps you do something better. Like, uh, so I I guess I I'd beg the question like. Is rampaging Balos sweet? Even though we don't have it, I was hoping we'd get it, but we don't. We don't have uh, it. Don't don't go out and buy it. Um, yeah, rampaging Balos is uh the six drop that uh has a landfall. Yeah, landfall trigger that yeah. makes four four beasts. It, so that's, it, it was. Uh, I don't know where it is now. It was close around rotation, but like that's a sweet card. Um, I think that trying to brew around that card might be like something that's worth doing. But like when you're brewing, you have to be like. Like the the joke on other constructed format is dies to Doomblade, not playable. But and that's like mostly true. But when people say stuff like dies to Doomblade, like you don't like 
a six mana card costs you significantly more than uh like six cards out of your library because if i have like a bunch of uh cheap removal and counter spells and sit on two or three lands and be my 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 core game plan is to drag out the game and interact with my opponent's plan until whatever cheaper cards i have are able to do their job if i'm trying to cast a six drop I have to have either mana stinks and additional mana sources to get to that spell on time, which means that unless I have a deck that has all my different engines running in tune, uh, I can easily like have the draw the wrong half of the deck syndrome where I draw like I have 30 mana sources because I want to be able to cast my six drop on turn four and I draw them all and don't draw any threats or I drop my six drop and someone doom blades it for two mana and I just lose. So it's, it's when you, when you play expensive splashy spells and believe me, I'm someone that loves to tap out to cast uh, cruel control. You need to have a lot of your deck built to figuring out both how to pay to cast it, and how to make that card impactful enough that it's worth warping your deck around it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, and actually, remember you talked about that. I was thinking about my old wild pair deck. How most of it is just like mana sources. It's actually like thirty mana sources, and the other half is like weirdly like ridiculously high casting cost stuff. Sometimes like the curve is just so bonkers. But like you said, like you want. You want your deck to be when your things are when everything's going right. You want it to be like the craziest thing. And another thing I think to add on to that is that I think that like sometimes plans do fail, and I think you need a way to like come back from other situations. Like you can't sometimes not like an unlike combo like or it's like we're talking more about mid range control where it's like you do your thing, but then they thwart your thing with like a doom blade or whatever. But then you have to do the next thing. And I think that's a pretty important uh, way of deck building is that you're never like too linear. Just like going back to Ribbon's deck, like his deck is not like has different ways of just kind of like winning games. Either through like Magister's Worth or just chaining Cloud Blazers. That just will win games sometimes, you know? I think it's just like having different avenues of attack, I think, which is really important for certain decks to uh, build. I want to gain say that a little bit. Um, like having linear cards is fine. You just have to realize that um especially in combo like opponent can shut off your combo with one card like if your opponent has a active i don't know phyrexian totem or two like without they've spent one card but they have countered full animate dead that's in your deck that's one of the the difficulties with like cards that get advantage off synergies if if your card if your deck is like solely made up of removal and counter spells, you're always going to be able to, or you know, barring enter the battlefield's triggers, going to be able to trade at parity. But if you have cards that rely on other cards in order to be even like remotely efficient at providing like a, a sustainable threat or protecting your threat, you have self and deck building, which doesn't mean it's wrong in all cases. Like I am playing fling, just there's a significant cost to doing that, which coincidentally is uh, why um, combat tricks tend to be really bad in constructed formats because you like, so at, at best a combat trick 
forces through uh, addition, like additional damage or saves a creature from either a removal spell or creature combat. But, and you know, this is avoiding exceptions like the heroic dot deck, um, those are risky because every time you play a combat spell, or you are opening yourself to getting two for one or blown out by a single removal spell that you know your opponent has to be playing because that's just like the way creature combat works in this format. So thinking about what cards in your deck can be abbreviated and like what section of your deck can be abbreviated by the cards other people are playing is a really important skill for like figuring out a good metagame read and how to uh, design your deck around that. Like if everyone's building around, uh, or if like the meta is all about uh, World Roger Dragon combo, it doesn't make sense to build another deck that's like a Genesis control deck because the meta is, ar like Genesis control sounds sweet. I'm sure there's a cool shell for it, but you need to take into account that if people are already bringing in for the rest of the meta, you can't build a deck that gets hit by the same answers. You want, ideally, you want your deck to uh, have your opponent's answers line up poorly against yours. I think that's a, a really good point about like a splash hate. Like, really, what I say, it's like, like for example, like the best aggro deck is zombies right now. But like, maybe I want to build like a sweet, I don't know, mono black vampires deck that's the same that's the, sort of like the same line like vampires are pretty sweet like i think we talked about the last podcast how there are a lot of good vampires but you're just gonna get the same hate that zombies gets you know so that's that, that's a that's a good point you know just sort of like trying to you dodge know, vampires hate. dodge angels of glory's rise it's cool that, that's <laughs> that's true i mean that's actually really true they don't dodge elite inquisitor elite inquisitor doesn't dodge anything i'm building around that card i'm, I'm totally making a deck around that card <laughs> Like Someone's a, playing Odric keywords. I, I don't remember who, but there's a couple. Uh, there's at least one person playing Odric keywords. That's that deck's not for me. I, I don't know. It's like it's like that same thing that dies a doomblade sort of argument. Like all the cards are like just kind of individually all right, but it's like a. I'm not. Why, should, why would I say like it's a thirty creature deck? I've been playing Wild Pair for the last like four weeks. Like, <laughs> like I, I can't hate on the card, but like no, it's 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 not, it's not a bad deck. I've, I've definitely lost to it before, but it's just not really my cup of tea. It, it, I think it really banks on. I think that card deck really, really banks on Odric to be like a really good deck. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, eh. It's just like you're playing like cards on curve, which which is fine, and then like you're just kind of hoping to get there. You know what I mean? Uh, so the, the, just to to go back to a recurring theme, the interesting thing about Odric's is it can decide how it wants to play because it's um. It has a decent early game, which, um, unfortunately for it, I don't think it has a very good Zombies matchup. I think that Zombies get bigger than it can profitably interact with pretty darn quick, despite the Elite Inquisitor tech or whatever you want to call it. But um, against Wraths, it has enough like army in a can type effects that it can easily like sit on the board with like two creatures and just make you answer everything as it slowly beats down and it can also go wide so they, they don't have uh, ways to peek at your hand like black decks do but they do have a lot of play with regards to deciding how to sequence your creatures and when to hold your spells in the face of uh of wrath type effects um 
but yeah, as far as like mid rangey decks go, I, I don't think it's bad. I just don't like that that style of deck that much. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever think I've seen a decklist of yours that had more than like twelve creatures, maybe, <laughs> maybe like sixteen. I think that's your max. It was like a, a deck that was like a combo creature deck, but yeah, it's like I like magic, like Richard Garfield intended spells and storm combo. <laughs> I don't know what he intended, honestly. I, I don't even want to get in that. I don't know. I can't wait till uh, I'm I'm stoked for Dominaria. We'll see. <laughs> hey, side note: Did you see the spoilers? Have you read the spoilers? They look freaking amazing, and I'm super hyped for it. <laughs> They're historic, right? All the artifacts are historic. Hot soup is historic now. That fits with with like old school of artifacts. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense in Mirrodin block, but like. A lot of uh, like artifacts in Dominaria were like originally like Thran artifacts or like shit Urza and Mishra made that were like supposed to be kind of mysterious and no one was quite sure how they worked. Like I I I buy that the artifacts are historic, especially like within block theming. And oh well, it'll be weird when you're playing like Leonin Skimitar and getting triggers off Jora. <laughs> uh, that's for another podcast, maybe. That's like way down the line. And I'm sure all the other podcasts in the world are talking about Dominaria. But we're talking about deck building. I think like, and this is not an ad, by the way. This is not an ad, but I actually like, you're talking about like just ways, finding cards to uh, fuel your game plans. I, I love using Scryfall. I always, people ask me all the time, how do you how do you go about building a deck? And then the first thing I always say is like, you should just learn how to use Scryfall and the uh, search engine syntax I no think. scryfall uh is great their syntax is really powerful they have their tech support will actually talk to you and are about seven million times more helpful than uh wizards of the coast tech support so that's great they'll fix bugs or make changes uh to their syntax based on suggestions from the community and uh i'm just really impressed uh it's amazing i have no idea how they've monetized it i know they have like a subscription service but it doesn't not yeah. not to anti-shill for them but i'm not sure what the subscription service adds but uh they're, they're they seem like really professional guys and i'm i'm happy they uh they do what they do so well yeah this is not an ad again this is not an ad but no they uh their subscription process well, if you, scryfall if you're listening and want to sponsor us oh yeah <laughs> they, they do they are in the discord they do they, they they actually hang out they like paying for a lot they really help us out but um about their subscription process it's, it's basically like they basically um because I, I always i used to be a patreon for them i'm actually not anymore because um they didn't actually dislike patreon in general um because the way Patreon works, uh, they, Patreon takes like a cut and like you get like the rest. It's it's really weird. And they just, I guess they didn't really like it or whatever. That's the TLDR of Patreon. I've, I probably got that wrong though. So they just started their own sort of like subscription process. It's like their own sort of Patreon, but you basically like pay for an account. I think there's like there's like a just a basic level and then there's like an elite level and like basically it gets you into like the Discord and you can talk to the other people. I don't know. I, I'm, I they're adding more features, but it's just a way to like support through like donate like week monthly donations like a patreon except the money just goes straight to them <laughs> okay i guess i because i've seen their subscription page i just i feel like they should maybe, maybe I'll, because they're so easy to communicate maybe i'll send them a message but i feel like they should make it clearer that it's a thing rather than a value type thing because i don't feel like the website makes it clear that this is like for love of like there, there, there's different economic models between like when you're doing something because you want to support 
them and what they do versus when you're doing something because you feel that the thing you're getting is instrumentally valuable for the money you're spending. And I feel like the way they're advertising, it makes it look like they're trying to sell you something that they think is valuable. And I'm like, already, I don't need to spend any money on yeah, that. It's like, yeah, it's like it's already here. It's like, I don't need anything. No, I think it's, um, I think you're right. They just started it. I think the move was actually very recent. I would say about a month ago, a month or two months. I don't, I'm not really sure. I just remember reading about it and like thinking about, I actually am thinking about it. I probably will do it. It's like three bucks, not that much. So, and I like Scryfall, so I'm thinking about doing it. But yeah, it's, it's just more of a, uh, thanks, you know, please help support. Any support will be great. If not, just enjoy the website. Okay. And, and Scryfall ad, but, <laughs> <laughs> but still Scryfall is pretty great. Like you, learning the syntax is really important. That's really how, like, um, when I was, when I, we talked about brewing, how, uh, I sort of like for me personally I like I like the big splashy cards like you said like I love like cards like Swarm Intelligence Wild Pair just expensive dumb cards that if you get to untap you might win the game or you should win the game like Swarm Intelligence that was a deck Hypergenesis was a big one from last season and I use Scryfall like religiously I stare at Scryfall pages for I don't know like days trying to figure out how to make that card like really work and my process to that which I went through in the very first deck tech was like actually like insane because I had an idea of like using like multicolored cards with like supply demand, mostly the demand part that tutors for um, multicolored cards, and cause, because all the cascade spells were multicolored, so that was my first step. I was just looking at multicolored cards through Scryfall that all costed four or more, <laughs> and then and then it led me to like things like Magister Sphinx, just killing my opponent really quickly. And then somehow, and somehow between all that, I found where Ancients Tread, which uh, it's an enchantment that says that whenever a creature is a battlefield with power five or greater, the enchantment deals five damage to a player, creature or player. So from there, I went from like, all right, what kind of like creatures with casting costs uh, four or higher with, <laughs> with uh, that were multicolored, that had power five or greater, that did something that entered the battlefield, so I could hit them off Hypergenesis. And that's basically how I made the deck, and it was... It was so ridiculous. I actually should have won the very first tournament I played in. I made it to the finals, and I would have won that tournament if I not like if I just mulliganed my third game against that soldier's deck. But I never like played a deck before that felt so unbeatable. I felt like I literally just broke the format. Like I had literally some like eight minute games because it was just so quick. I was like, oh okay, I'll just turn through this person. Oh, I'm gonna turn four this person. They had they can't do anything. It was actually amazing. So. It, but it took a while. It took a while to research all that. It's just more about just like kind of finding those kind of cards that just really like supplement your game plan, especially in the, the sort of like synergy style decks. And you hear it here for just memorize every single card every single season via our wonderful sponsors at uh, Scryfall. They're not our sponsors. They're not our sponsors. They're not. Oh, oh, act like you believe it, and it'll become true. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, but yeah, ha like, I don't know pretty much all to say about brewing, really. It's just, it's just sort of about, like, finding cards that kind of, like, accelerate your game plan, whether it be, you know, mana dorks into, like, that big thing, or, you know, just, like... Where you're I mean, I, I, we're, we're magic nerds, so we could talk about this yeah. forever, but I, I think there's more than, like, finding... It, it, it's it's figure how How, if you don't know what your game plan is, like, what looks like a powerful card. Because as essentially for when you're looking at Scryfall are 
is like like on the simplest level the most efficient thing for its given mana cost so you want to make sure that when you put a card in your deck it's doing something and filling a role in either providing a threat or providing card selection or providing an answer that no other card does better for the mana for the meta deck or meta game you're brewing for or for the the conditions you're you're brewing for the the second thing kind of thing you want to look for is cards that provide you the ability to get persistent value or virtual card advantage or actual card advantage on them so like like you'll see aggro decks play cards like uh, dragon fodder and the reason they play cards like dragon fodder is that uh, if you're answering uh, aggro deck, you might have a bunch of spot removal because you want to use your spot removal to like keep their board under control and maybe eventually you'll get a wrath to like stabilize, but like you need spot removal or they're going to kill you before you play your five mana wrath. It's like dragon fodder let you get virtual card advantage because your opponent is forced to use their whole real card and possibly one or two real mana to answer half your card in dragon fodder and if you're playing a narrower answer like i don't know star storm or something you're now spending three mana for star storm that yeah maybe it answers dragon fodder really well but it doesn't answer it's really expensive and difficult to answer the Stormblood Berserker, whereas if they had just a simple Lightning Bolt or something to that effect, or not Lightning Bolt, we don't Terror, uh, terror. we'll say Terror. Terror, that would be matched up better against that. So figuring out you think your your threat profile or your the, the engine cards in your deck are the best for the strategy you've decided to pursue and why that strategy has advantages against other uh other strategies or decks yeah i think that's, it's a, that's add a little more depth to yeah look at scryfall and play the the, the coolest cards <laughs> i mean that's what i do I, I, maybe i'm just a simple maybe i'm just a simpleton like because <laughs> like I, I really i i get really blamed for just playing these like do nothing cards like swarm intelligence like wild pair they just like don't it, it, you're right, and you're absolutely right. It's actually, like, disadvantage. I think, like, when you take that sort of risk, then you need to start, like, winning immediately after that. And that's how I usually... I usually build on those sort of, like, flashy, big interactive, like, sort of do-nothings. Is that... When I, if I get to untap, or if I play this card, if you let me live, I will kill you. <laughs> that's, that's the way I kind of try to, like, build my decks. The reason established players don't, like, wild pair is you're playing a six mana sorcery or six mana sorcery speed spell that can be answered that a if you don't have any other cards in hand b can be answered easily and cheaply by uh multiple two mana spells in green and white um and doesn't do anything the turn it comes down so oh i mean that's it's just slow um and it needs the 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 first order belief is that it won't do anything because you'll be dead by the time you cast it um, unless you have a game plan to to get there and to still have cards in hand to get value off it because once it's on the table not only does like if, if you had a card that said every time you play a creature draw a card card but if you got every time you play a creature 
tutor for a card, that's not only card advantage, that's card advantage with card selection, which means your tutor targets can, and in your case, are pages that let you catch up on all that tempo equity and card advantage and equity you spent warping your deck to play uh, Wild Pair. The other thing that's cool about your deck with Wild Pair is that you've designed some of your fatty selection so that the one-mana dorks that you're forced to play in order to play the Wild Pair somewhat on time can fetch you your fatties if you hold them or top-deck them late in the game, provided your Wild Pair sticks. It sounds like you kind of tried to hate on my deck, but you didn't. You like you you you, you think, made like a I, I you did like a the... you had like a compliment sandwich. Really, it was like <laughs> it was a compliment I, sandwich. The process of why people don't like it and how, if you were looking at Wild Pair, you would be like, okay, in order to play Wild Pair, strengths of Wild Pair, what things does it do that no other card does? What deck building restrictions does it have? And how can I? use uh use those things together to get an advantage that's worth playing and sometimes so like like that's a really powerful engine uh, another card i know you like that i've also been brewing with and haven't brought it out in any tournaments because i haven't gotten it to a point where i think it's actually good it's like swarm intelligence you're playing a seven mana sorcery that doesn't do anything the turn it comes down you have to find a way that like parlays that into a win very easily afterwards ideally with cards you'd want to play anyway because if your plan is like seven men and sorcery into other expensive spell where both are dead if you're not if they're not drawn in the right order it's it's a very interactable inter, uh, interruptible plan and probably won't make it uh very far in the the pd tourneys yeah i i i mean the storm intelligence shell is honestly still there if you guys don't. I could probably link it in the show notes, but I mean, there's still like Cabal Ritual, there's still Sins of the Past, there's still Sword Inventions. That stuff's still all there. I just don't think actually it's a great deck <laughs> right now. I think uh, with like dark, between like Dark Ritual, right? The uh, season it was good. Yeah, the season was really good. It was Dark Ritual, which was insane. I mean, I think you talked about it in the last podcast was um, Pirates Pillage. That's an, an interesting idea. If you somehow go like Signet into Pirates Pillage, all of a sudden you have seven mana in turn four, which is Kind of a big deal, assuming you make all your land drops too, right? Is that that, that, that math works out right? Yeah. That was that's that's the base the basic plan. It's just honestly, it's not that good. Like turn four for, like turn four uh, swarm intelligence versus like turn four uh, cruel ultimatum. Every single time, I wish I had the cruel ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. I think we had a good talk. That was a that was a pretty interesting talk about. Brewing in general, just the philosophies, and maybe maybe that's what Ribbons is thinking because we talk about Ribbons a lot too. Maybe that's how he thinks too. Maybe, maybe I should have him on the show. Maybe I should leave. Was this, <laughs> maybe was I an advertisement leave. for Scryfall or it, for Ribbons? It was, it was an advertisement for. They're all the same. I, I'm sure he works for them now. I'm sure they all <laughs> just work together. But yeah, that's that's gonna be. I guess the end. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I guess just shill some things. Scryfall.com is amazing. <laughs> PayDreadfulMagic.com if you ever want to check out uh, Pay Dreadful stuff. Uh, I have a bunch of different uh, social media things. Twitch, Twitch.tv. If Wizards wants to to talk to us, we'll show them if they fix some Penny Dreadful bugs. I have um, a list. There's like a hundred of them that'd be really great if like they fix sometime this year. Uh, all right, go. You have you. Have, I'll give you two minutes to rant about bugs. Go, <laughs> go. Uh, 
well, um, so just just starting with like, I want to point out that it's not just penny dreadful bugs. There are modern impacting bugs that like Wizards hasn't fixed for years. Like they've just given up on fixing Wall of Roots. It doesn't work. It's they they just hacked it to make it count as a uh, an instant ability rather than a mana ability, so you can't walk it back like you can uh, other mana abilities. Um, Mindbend uh, and other effects just like straight up don't work. They apparently have been broken for like several years, and I know they've been reported for a while. But uh, when they changed the UI from MTG uh, three to MTG four, um, they uh, the old GUI element for picking the color of a spell was. Uh, removed and they just never bothered to update or fix the cards and apparently have like no intention or desire of uh, of speeding that up um split cards have been broken broken since the bird brain update with uh vis-a-vis -vis their mana costs there's lots of bugs uh related to their mana costs uh and that's what was, bird brain update was whenever aether result uh came out so that's going over two years um and it's just it, it's disheartening to to try and report these and have them fall into a uh, a horrible black hole or in my case i got censured by the orcs because i tried to link to the um the penny dreadful um github uh, bug blog and they 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 got very angry at me not because i was reporting bugs but because i had the the audacity to try and uh report where they were <laughs> that's so funny that you guys censored we need a we need a Brian Ross rant section of this podcast. So funny. But it, <laughs> I don't know. But hear that just, you hear that Watson. I, I mean, I I know we don't spend as much as modern players, but I feel like software companies have like to care about bugs. Like I I realize like like some bugs are like hard to fix, and I I work uh, in the tech industry, so I'm not like saying people should put out bugs free software. If your design is to put out software and then just like leave it alone and like don't fix reported bugs unless it directly impacts revenue, I feel like kind of in the same way that like if an author wrote a book and then just said, hey, I'm not going to finish this series. Sorry, I said it was a trilogy, but I don't care about finishing it. Like there's an implicit contract between you and a software company that they're going to do their best to... um Bugs as they come up, and to provide at least some level of ongoing support for the the software contract you've purchased. And I feel like Watsi just does not care and does not live up to their end of the implicit bargain. But that's just me. You hear that, Watsi? We're gonna walk. We're gonna walk if you don't fix this. <laughs> or, or we're just addicted because they have really, really fun game design, and the game is fantastic. So I, I guess you know they're just doing the profit maximizing thing. It's just incredibly frustrating and disheartening. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, we play because we love the game, but we wish we wish that like we had the best product possible for sure. Uh, see, see, you got so like you got so riled up about rants that you you ruined the outro, and I have to redo the outro. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you're gonna follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash underscore mecca. I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash c slash jmecca. That's just one word. And SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash j underscore mecha i'll be in the show notes uh as long as like links to the decks we talked about some of the decks we talked about, at least ribbon's deck and i don't know maybe the hypergenesis deck we talked about i, I don't know any other decks but uh brian moss you don't have any socials yet do you you don't have like okay i'm a ghost on the social media and i'll probably stay that way <laughs> yeah but you can you can find us at discord uh we'll be we're always in a discord but you know that's gonna be it for the show thank you guys for listening uh appreciate it brian moss thank you so much once again <laughs> All right, say bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye. <laughs>